Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. There's a wonderful metaphor, the glass is half full. And the reason I mention this is that too often we look at the negatives in our lives. My guest today is a true example of the glass half full type of person. And during COVID, she has embraced new opportunities and thriving through these tough times. Welcome, Jenny Brand Miller. You are the Professor of Human Nutrition at Sydney Uni. It's so great to have you here with us today. Thank you, Karen. I'm delighted to be with you. So we were introduced just via an email um, because sometimes people look out for me just for fascinating people who have great stories. And firstly, I'd like to say we have something in common. What's that? We both like to swim at Manly. Uh, Shelley. I I do that swim regularly and my guests probably get sick and tired of us hearing, uh, of them hearing about what I do there. But first of all, Jenny, tell us about yourself because people here right now have no idea why we're talking about your story. All right. So I think I'm here mainly because I happen to be deaf and yet you wouldn't know it. Um, I'm profoundly deaf and I've been this way since I was, I, I gradually lost my hearing. It started when I was a teenager, maybe earlier, but I detected that I couldn't hear as well as my friends when I was about 15. And my parents took me uh, to the hospital to have my hearing tested. And yes, it was. It was impaired. And they prescribed a hearing aid, which I, I wore for about a day and then managed to lose. Uh, <laughs> and I think they got me some new ones, but I didn't wear those. It wasn't until I was about 24 that I realised I, I had to wear them or I was missing out on things. So there was a long journey between being um, aided by hearing aids that became less and less useful because my hearing was continuing to, to decline until it gets to a stage where it's called severe hearing loss and... That means hearing aids become, you know, they're not, not really as useful. They're, they're not distinguishing background noise from people's voices. And so people stop wearing them. We often think that losing your hearing is just an age thing. Like I know my mother at the moment has hearing aids and I know when the batteries need changing. Yeah. And I laugh at the things that she misinterprets that I've said. It's like watching that show Mother and Son. You remember Mother and Son? Yeah. And whatever you've said turns into something else or um, it's like Chinese whispers down the line that 
it's it can be just hilarious when you're in a conversation. Yes, I think, and be funny with relatives. It can be funny, but with you know the people who who speak to you in shops um, and supermarkets, it can be very embarrassing. So yeah. Yeah, a bit soul destroying at times. When they when you've asked them to repeat themselves once or twice, you're not very game to ask them again. So you just nod and pretend you've heard. Yeah, so imagine a hundred years ago, someone in your situation, you know, it, it would be just soul destroying because there were no real hearing aids or ways of helping someone. So it's a very fortunate Thing that these are modern day times and we've moved now from not just hearing aids for you but tell us about the latest technology all right so so you become a candidate for having a cochlear implant if your hearing loss is severe enough um, and you have an operation where they insert an electrode small a small um, wire into the inner ear. Um, it's done obviously under anaesthesia. It's an operation that's now um, almost routine. Um, people are trained to do it, mm -hmm. and they they don't do it just on adults. They do it on on young babies um, as young as three and six months of age, because Australia has a policy that a baby that's um, screened at birth for hearing loss, if they, it turns out that they are profoundly or severely deaf, then they will be given cochlear implants in the first year or so of life. So those children grow up um, you know, in normal schools, um, playing musical instruments and uh, having language and listening skills that are equivalent or better than normal hearing children. So it's amazing. Well, I know that inappropriate language was used to describe kids who um, had hearing loss or, or were deaf in years gone by. Um, and I'm not even going to go there and say it, but, you know, these kids were misunderstood in so many ways simply because they couldn't hear. That's right. And you, you think about it. For you, when you think, you actually think in terms of your language. You think in English. Mm -hmm. English is your native language. So if you ask yourself, how would I think if I didn't have a language? But, you know, it turned out that um, in many parts of the world, um, children and adults that had no hearing would find ways to communicate with their hands um, and other ways. And so they were intelligent. They just needed to be given the mechanisms to communicate with each other. So there's some lovely stories out there. Yeah, and, you know, you're, you're referring to, say, sign language. And I, I saw just the other day half a dozen people down at Manly walking on the Corso and using sign language and I went ah you know it was it was before you were even introduced to me this was like two weeks ago yeah it was really great they were having a great time they were communicating in their style of communication and really enjoying their walk together so 
That's true. And we, we mustn't think that their form of language is, is you know, less than ours because in many ways they have um, more gestures and more ways of expressing things. But, you know, what's surprising is that deaf children um, are most likely... 99% um, of the time, a deaf child is born to two hearing parents. Mm -hmm. Those hearing parents will be given the options. And most of them nowadays make the decision for their child to have cochlear implants as soon as possible because that part of the brain called the auditory cortex um, develops very rapidly with exposure to language. And so the earlier you implant cochlear implants, the better the child does in the long run. Um, but the alternative for people like me and many people um, out there is that their, their hearing declines um, as they get older and older. Um, mine started earlier than most people. But, you know, something like one in three, I think it is, of people over the age of 65 have hearing loss. Mm -hmm. And over the age of 75, I think it's 50% of people. So it's extremely common, extremely mm. common. And you, you lose it as you get older, partly because we live in such a noisy world. There's always, um, you know, street noise and, and loud music and whatever that you've listened to as a, as a teenager or a young adult. That, that comes back to bite you because some of your hearing cells have to saying things um, and I, I'm writing madly because there's so many things you say that I want to raise at okay. some point. So if you see me writing away, it's because, oh, I want to talk about that in a minute. Okay. Um, you were talking, yes, we live in a noisy world and I, I, I just realised recently how noisy my world was, um, my partner and I just took a, a trip to Queensland and we were up at Cape Tribulation and walking along the beach in the morning, I wrote on the sand one day, silence is golden, and I said to him, we're not talking all the way along the beach. The idea is to just listen to the sounds around us. And there's so many sounds there, but it's so quiet. You know, it's like the lapping of the water on the shore or the bird, or the breeze in the tree. And it was just so great to have, well, this, yeah, we, I don't want to say the sounds of silence, but the sounds of nature. Sounds of nature, yes, exactly. And when you, when you hear, when I hear a kookaburra or some kind of bird noise, I think to myself, aren't I lucky that I can hear it? Mm. And one, one of the nicest sounds is that I find calming is just the sound of water, the rain on the roof, um, mm. on the skylights. I can hear the rain. And I know, I know I couldn't hear it for a long, long time, for decades. I couldn't hear the rain. So the first time that I heard it after the cochlear implantation, I actually didn't know what it was. It's like identifying a whole new sound out there. You've just got all these things coming in. A bit, be like sitting with an orchestra and going, "Oh, what's that sound now? What's that sound now?" And and identifying. You know, do you remember? I know. I don't know if you remember, but for me, music lessons and the the music teacher would put on 
music and ask you to identify three instruments that were playing. And so same sort of thing in nature. You're, yeah. you're identify the rain. <laughs> same, same. Yes. And, you know, if you did that to me now with um, my two cochlear implants, uh, I could probably identify those three instruments as long as they weren't too close. I could yeah. say that was a piano and that was a guitar, you know, that was a, um, a wind instrument. Um, and that's one thing I want people, your listeners, um, our listeners to know is that with cochlear implants, you can enjoy music, enjoy it very, very much. There seems to be a sort of myth out there that music is, is not enjoyable, um, but it is. And the, the, the thing that makes a difference is the second implant. The, the having both ears implanted, I think, is the secret to, to doing really well. If you've only got one, um, it's a bit lopsided. Mm -hmm. uh, you can have a hearing, if you've got decent hearing in the other ear or you put a hearing aid in the other ear, that's fine. Music sounds good. But if, if only one ear has hearing, it's a bit lopsided and um, it's, it's worthwhile thinking in terms of having a second one. So, Jenny, how were you introduced to the cochlear implants? I was interested. So I was in my low 40s when I, I was finding life harder and harder, I was, I was at this stage, I was um, probably an associate professor at the uni or a senior lecturer. And I was finding even conversations in my office on a one-to-one -one basis with a student or a colleague. I was missing so much of the conversation, some of the words I, I, you know, sometimes I, I just pretended to understand and nodded my head. Some people with moustaches and mumbles were the hardest of all. But what happened was that they started to publish articles in the papers about cochlears, um, cochlear implants, because, because Graham Clark was, his work was pioneering. It was, it was world class. It was ahead of the world. And... And, you know, it was Australian. So, so the papers and the reporters were saying how things were going. But, you know, the things I was hearing at that time is that people sounded like they were underwater or they sounded like Donald Duck. So my, my, my aspirations were very low. Um, but then just by chance, I met, met someone at assertiveness training for hearing impaired I met someone who I considered she made she made this amazing difference because she said I'm going to have a cochlear implant and I thought oh really because like me she had two hearing aids and I thought I was being told that if you had a hearing aid in one ear and a cochlear implant in the other that your your brain wouldn't be able to cope and so, but she said, well, I'm going to have it anyway. Um, <laughs> very decisive. Anyway, so she came out of that operation and said things are, things are fine, um, the hearing aid and the cochlear implant. She was wearing them both. And so within about six months, I'd been assessed and also put on the waiting list uh -huh. to have a cochlear implant. 
and really my I say I use this expression that for my career it was like attaching jump leads to a flat battery <laughs> that's a great analogy jump leads I have to write that down jump leads to a flat battery um I I think because it 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 wasn't overnight, you know, going from hearing, hearing, you know, 50% of words to hearing 100%. It wasn't anything like that. The ear that was implanted in me had been deaf, totally deaf for 10 years. Wow. So it had no stimulation. And they, they told me to be, to be fairly, um, you know, not, not too enthusiastic in the beginning because... Just like anything you don't use, you lose it. So that expression, use it or lose it. So all the pathways in my brain that had on that side had not been used for a long time. So I gradually found that I was hearing more and more words. It took time. It was a, probably six months before I was willing to have a phone conversation using putting the telephone to the ear that it was implanted. Um, but it was just all up. It was, it was like being a child and learning language. You, you just, you get better and better. And even now, the first, the first cochlear implant is now 20 years old. But, you know, I still think to myself on a very frequent basis, I'm, I say to myself, gee, I'm hearing well today. So I guess it's just like learning to trust how the implant works. Learning to be confident. Is, it, is that something that you found? You had to be confident that this was working for you and trusting it and then stepping a bit more out of your comfort zone all the time. I, I think it's true, yes, Karen. I think I think you have to step outside your comfort zone to have the operation in the first instance. I wasn't frightened, but I know other people are. I just trusted. I trusted my surgeon. I I knew that he was implanting young babies, and he'd done done more than any other person in the world. That was Professor Bill Gibson at um, Sydney University, and so I had no reason to worry, and I don't think anyone in Australia has reason to worry. Our surgeons are very well trained. But, you know, it's not just about confidence from the implantation onwards. It's about patience. It's about just just like if you'd had a stroke and you, you had to learn to walk on uh, again or talk again. It's like that. The brain responds to stimulation and... Um, you know, we now know the brain does have nerve cells that respond to stimulation, even in adulthood. They do grow. They grow new connections, and the connections get more and more stronger and stronger, and and that means they travel faster. Stim things that you hear are coming through your inner ear and into the auditory cortex of the brain faster and faster. So you, you just hear better and better with time. Um, Jenny, some people might say 
what did you have to lose going into that operation? You know, you said you weren't afraid, but you had a lot to gain. Yes. By having this, you know, I, you saw, I'm, I'm just trying some, a thought just came into my mind that people may be fearful of this, but really if their hearing is so impaired in the first place, what do they have to lose by well, going? And you, you, that, that's something I can't answer. I, I can tell you a little bit. Um, there's, there is always the chance that it doesn't work mm -hmm. um, inside. Some, so, in fact, there, that little piece of wire has um, between 20 and 24 electrodes along the length of the the piece of wire it's only about eight centimeters long and some of them may not work under once you've, they've been implanted um, but there are also other factors physiological factors one of the things is if if you've been deaf in the ear since birth that means the auditory cortex and the nerve pathways have never ever been stimulated mm -hmm. And under those circumstances, it's, it's unlikely that a cochlear implant um, will work. Yep. That's why they do it in early, as early in childhood yep. as they can. Yep. So I have a, a colleague at the moment who has been deaf in one ear from birth and um, she's, she's beginning to consider a cochlear implant. And, um, you know, it's, the question is, will it work or not? And to some extent, they don't know. Yeah. Her auditory cortex is obviously developed because she had stimulation on that side, um, on the other side. So, so what do you lose you, you, when you ever you go under general anesthesia? Yeah. There is a chance of, and that applies to every operation. Yes. Um, and Australians have got so much to be grateful for. And one of the one of the things is that. Our medical specialists are so well trained. So, so that's that's one thing. There can be this side um, effect, which is that some of the nerves in the face have been affected oh. mm -hmm. in in really um, rare circumstances. You can have some some nerves that won't respond. It means um, Par paralysis or yes. yes. Or there might be changes in in the in taste or something else. Yeah. Because a lot of nerves in that same area around the face. Yes. So, but you know, I think we should always weigh up the benefits against the risks. And when it comes to cochlear implants, I, the benefits are, are just so big. Um, Improving your hearing and your quality of life by being able to interact more normally with people and to function better. It's a functionality. Um, but so many people just go out there and have such major operations to alter their appearance or whatever at huge risks. Yes. And, and yet, you know, they don't even think twice about what could happen. Um, and there's a few TV shows at the moment that show just what can happen when people start doing major operations on their physical body just yeah. for glamour. 
And we all love, you know, we all want to remain young and look great forever, but that's just not a fact of life. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting how, how they don't have the same hesitation that yes. you might be looking at going into an operation that's going to benefit you hugely in how you interact in the world. And also your whole ageing process, because if you have hearing loss and you begin to isolate yourselves, you... Mm -hmm yourself if you say I'd prefer not to go to restaurants because they're too noisy yeah. you, you miss out on that conversation and your communication with friends um, you if if you begin to isolate yourself then the brain is getting no stimulation from from that very human communication and in the end, if you, if, if you continue to do that over the years, people develop mild forms of cognitive impairment. Yeah. The longer you stay unaided by hearing aids or cochlear implants, the, the more likely it is that you have these mild cognitive impairments. The brain needs to be stimulated. So cochlear implants... Um, will make so much difference to that community. Yeah. This is such an important message for people. And, you know, but how do you see um, cochlear implants affecting, you know, now we have hearing aids, people like my mother have hearing aids. Is it something we will probably move towards being able to do for everyday hearing loss in the future? Uh, it, hearing aids will always have a place all okay. right? because they're, they're non-invasive. You, you don't have to have an operation. You don't have to be cut open. Um, they, they do amazingly well. They'll help people with mild and moderate forms of hearing loss. But as we get older, hearing loss often progresses and eventually it's severe. And eventually it becomes profound. And that's where cochlear implants come in. And the line at which you draw um, the cut line that says this person is now a candidate for cochlear implants, that hurdle is getting lower and lower in the sense that you don't have to be quite so severely hearing impaired. And you really, really what it is is because they, I think everyone is surprised even even people like Graham Clark, um, Professor Graham Clark, that um, was the the person who pioneered the whole technology. I think even he finds it surprising that it works so well. That it's not just for language; it's about everything in life, including music. Oh. It, it surpassed the wildest imagination. So there's room for both, and. You know, you need you need good audiologists um, trained to use um, cochlear implants to judge whether your hearing loss is now um, severe enough to deserve a cochlear implant. It, it's good for everyday people like myself to know that there there are solutions, and there will be even better solutions down the track as we age. Yes. Um, yeah, so look, Jenny, when did you receive your second implant? Um, Ten years ago. So 
for a long time, you know, it was it was just not done um, to put one, you know, take the risk in another era as well. Um, but the research was gradually accumulating that that the second year was making a huge difference to hearing in noise. And that's really the bane of anybody with hearing loss. You, you can you can hear relatively well in a nice quiet office or room, but once there's other people around, um, yeah. restaurants, all those situations, conferences, yeah. um, where you've got a big room and someone's trying to talk to you from the other side of the room, those conditions are harder. And so the research gradually accumulated. And my audiologist said to me one day, Jenny, I think you should, you know, go and ask um, if you're a good candidate for it. But in fact, when I had the, the tests done, it actually showed that my balance wasn't very good in, um, in the ear that had been implanted. And so the surgeons were a bit, a bit concerned that maybe I'd lose my balance in the other ear. They thought it was due to the operation itself. But actually, it turned out that my balance and hearing were going down, possibly for genetic reasons. And eventually, they agreed to do the, the, the second implant. So it was 10 years ago. And I can tell you now that lots of people with, with balance um, issues have cochlear implants. And I walk around, I can walk on um, you know, a wall, I, I, I can stand on one leg, I can do things because other parts of my body have, have taken over the, the job of balancing. Oh. So, yes, so it's not a con contraindication. And just like you say, ageing fearlessly, I think, I think that's what's the attitude you need for cochlear implants. Even yeah. if someone says to you, oh, your balance is not good enough. Hmm. Um, it's amazing how our physiology, you know, adapts. Uh, so part of why you're here today is to talk about through COVID how these implants have helped you because we're on Zoom at the moment and people who are going to listen to this, you know, how, how is a person with hearing, you know, being hearing impaired, how do they work with Zoom? That's where I want to go now. Tell us about this. Well, I, I love Zoom. It's, it's working. The, the audio on my laptop um, is, is very clear, much clearer than old telephones and other things. In fact, the telephone used to be, to me, a, a, an instrument of torture. I, I couldn't understand people's names. I couldn't take down their, their phone number. I used to get people to, this is before the implants, I used to get them to other people to record my voice, write down my voicemail because I found it impossible. I, it really tortured me. So the Zoom audio, I don't know how they do it, but it's extremely clear to me. But, you know, there's another level that I enjoy another level of hearing. I can, I'm not doing it at the moment, but I can Bluetooth my devices directly to my cochlear implants. Wow. Space, <laughs> it's getting really into space and technology, isn't it? That, you know, I'll just Bluetooth my 
cochlear implants now. Turn them into my uh, my radio and my car. I was Bluetoothing my my phone into the car today. <laughs> that, and I do that all the time in the car. So I listen to podcasts. And I love it through the Bluetooth connection to my iPhone or any other phone. Um, and it is crystal clear, Sandy. I cannot tell you how beautiful it sounds because it's it's dampened down all the outside noises of the road and and um, it's. I can I can change the level. Um, I can I can have fifty fifty, so I can still hear environmental noises. I can just have um, have the Bluetooth connection to the podcast. But I could I could have a hundred percent if I wanted through to the podcast, which would dampen. I would not hear any outside noise at all. And anyway, to, to give your listeners a, um, an idea, it's like someone has given you the best. <laughs> hearing um, headphones in yeah. the world, the most expensive you could find, and you put them on. And the, the, the beauty of the human language that way, and as well as music, I can't fault. Um, it's, to me, it's just just magical. And, you know, when, when I'm doing this in noisy airports, I'm take, having conversations, I, I, can, I can do things I couldn't do before. And um, it just makes me makes me feel so free to be able to do these things by myself, answer phones, give, give directions, everything else. I know this really great podcast, Aging Fearlessly. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to throw that in there somewhere. Um, you know, for me, I've become a mad, audible person, um, and. I don't have time to sit down and read a book. Um, I'm always pushing for time of deadlines to get things done so that I can have time for my passion, which is interviewing people like yourself. And sometimes the people I interview are authors and I'm asked, you know, can I interview them about their book? If I have to read the book, I just honestly, it's like, it's really hard for me to find 10 hours to read a book. I need to put it on in the car. And when I'm driving around, because I go out on the road for work, if I can grab half an hour here and there, it's time well used. Yes. So I, I can only imagine the joy you're getting out of podcasts. That's right. And as you say, um, you've, it's hard to find time to read books. The only time I get is, you know, the last 10 minutes at night before I fall asleep. But there's all these other occasions when you, like in a car during commuting, where it's lovely to lose yourself into a podcast and learn so much. Mm -hmm. So many good podcasts out there. There are. and Good stories. Yeah. And, yeah. and also there's so many great books out there that, just having that that opportunity to to be able to use that time in the car, you know. Hopefully, you're driving and concentrating. But oh yes, definitely. The really great time. I know when I was travelling north in Queensland, we had the motorhome, and I wanted to listen to someone's audible a book that they had written. She's a local woman in Manly, and she narrated hers 
on on Audible and I was writing notes and it was 10 hours worth of listening and my partner was listening. But wow, when you're driving for 10 hours, in that, that's over several days, but it's so great to use the time to, to listen to a book and then go and invite that person later. Hey, I've read your book. I've written tons of notes. Can I interview you? Yes. Just, you know, to me, it's... Yes. A huge pleasure. And, you you know, you laugh about things, you're talking to some... When you're listening to the same book with someone at the same time, you yes. can stop it and have a conversation about what's happening in the book. It's really... I love it. Yeah. Me too. Um, so working and with your students now and your lectures, tell us a, a bit about that because you are... Tell us, first of all... What do you do at the university? What's your role at the university? Okay, so I've been at the University of Sydney for so long, I don't want to tell you how long. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started off as a lecturer when I was about 26 and um, I've, I've climbed the career ladder there. I've been extremely happy. The University of Sydney have been good to me. Um, they, they knew I was hearing impaired they gave me a chance and I I think I've 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 given them back um, something as well I I give for a long time I gave lectures um, because that was you know at least 50% of the job and 50% was research um, and there was another 20% which you found in your spare time to do professional activities and um, um, community work but um, these days I've been very lucky I, I do less and less teaching in the sense that of face-to-face -face with um, a class of students I'm, I give presentations still I give conference papers um, I, I do research and I'm, I'm always um, on conversations with, with um, on zoom meetings now with my colleagues um, to organise what projects we're going to do and how we'll do them and solve problems. And it gives me immense pleasure to be able to do it with Zoom. Mm. In fact, there's, there's something about Zoom, um, Sandy, that I just love because my screen comes up with a little um, screen, obviously, um, a thumbnail with everybody that's there and it's got their name. <laughs> so... I don't have to remember if I'm meeting new people. Oh, I, I'm if I people I don't know, their name is there. It means it's easier for me to remember their face in the future. And as I get older, it's harder and harder to do those things. Um, and also, I I find the audio on Zoom and Google Meet just just I don't understand understand why it's so clear, but it seems to me that we've just with COVID, we've jumped to a new level of, of clarity, perhaps because COVID forced it to happen. Um, mm. So I think that's some of the, the things, there's some real positives that have come out of COVID. There's lots of great businesses that have just come to the surface, been born, things like this for you, understanding the Bluetooth technology, Yes, and Zoom. But you know, also in in the Zoom environment, um, 
I can see the person who's talking. It immediately shows the person who's talking on the big screen. Whereas in a meeting, when you've got maybe 10 and 20 people around a table, I, I may not recognize who's talking um, because they're not um, immediately in front of me. They're to the side of me. So my brain has to work out where, where is the person that's talking. And sometimes I won't even be able to see their face or lips because of where they are in the room. Yeah. The Zoom solves all that. <laughs> It does, doesn't it? I also love Zoom because if you don't want people to see you, just switch them off. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> when, you're, when you're in a room with a whole lot of people, like your boss is having a meeting and you think, oh, I don't want them to see me um, or how messy my house is right now, I just switch off, <laughs> turn the computer the other way. It's My daughter, my daughter does Zoom meetings all day and sometimes she says she just gets sick of looking at herself all day. Oh, yeah. And that's where do you look? You think I'm looking at you, but should I be looking at that camera? It's very confusing sometimes. Um, so how can the community support hearing impaired people through this time of isolation? I mean, at the moment, New South Wales isn't as bad. And Victoria isn't as bad. Oh, sorry, Queensland's not a bad, as bad. Victoria's in a shocking state. So how do we support these people? Oh, it's hard, Karen. And one of the reasons is because masks are, are clearly <laughs> important to wear in some situation. And masks means that people with a hearing impairment have lost the ability to see your, much of your facial expression, to look at your lips. It's all disappeared. Um, I never thought about it. So it's really hard. So, in fact, at the university... Um, I'm part of a group that is working on a transparent mask, a mask <clears throat> that won't fog up, um, that will you know, be safe to use, that um, it will be everything we want in terms of microbiologically um, a barrier against the virus, but will also allow the hearing um, people to hearing impaired people, to see their lips. And, you know, this is, this is precipitated. It's another thing that's come out of COVID, that masks in the operating theatres have been a bane to doctors and nurses that um, with hearing impairment. And suddenly they're being recognised um, as, as something we should... <clears throat> we should have done these transparent masks a long time ago. Mm. So there's competitions and, and lots of things out there at the moment to do something about it. Mm. So what about um, how, do you, how do you broach the subject with a friend or a relative when you think they may need help in terms of looking at their hearing? Maybe they need implants. Just let's go down that track for a minute. How do we, how do you broach the subject? Yes. So, so it is, it's a hard conversation to have with people. But these are the things you, you need to say to them that the longer they leave it, the longer they delay a hearing aid, the harder it will be in the long term. 
the sooner the sooner they're aided, the better the brain will be quicker um, in responding to the stimulation, less likely to find everything too loud. Yes, if you've been living in a quiet world, a hearing aid suddenly just is, is not something pleasant. It, everything's too loud to you, but actually it's because it's, it's what you've become used to. Mm-hmm. So the sooner you get a hearing aid, the better for your brain, the better for your cognitive function, the better for your social engagement with life and the more joy and pleasure you'll get out of ordinary life. So don't leave it. Um, the I think the average person is waiting about maybe five to ten years too long to get their hearing aid. They they think of it as something you only see in old people. Mm. Um, but you know these days the hearing aids are tiny, and the the little the little tubes are, um, are so fine that you can't see them. No, I know. Um, you don't realize people have got one in there. So, so start early. It's good for you, um, good for your brain, for overall health. This is really, you know, it's such an important topic and it's really great that you've been able to give us the time and give me the time today to share um, such vital information because, you know, we have, we have our senses, our touch, our taste, our touch, our sense of smell, hearing. These, it, hearing is hugely important to everything that we do in our lives. And as you know, I think about those people who do isolate themselves. And one of the things that we do know about aging is that being a part of a community and being within a group is so important and sometimes people avoid that because of their hearing uh, and I know you mentioned it before a lot of some people won't go out to dinners or events because of their hearing and you know I've, I've experienced that with friends in the past that have been a little bit older than me and they say oh you know we won't go along because we find it hard in a in a room with a lot of people and it's a real shame but that they experience that. But but being with other people, we're social beings and we need um, connection. And so, I think that's hugely important to so, have connection. So true. And let me tell you, I, I avoided restaurants for a long time too. It was, it was torture, just like the telephone. But these days, because of my age group, you know, at a restaurant, my friends are the same age. Um, I'm, I think I'm 68. And, and when I go to a restaurant, I'm finding it easier than they are around the table because I have the ability to change programs. One of the programs deals especially with noise, a noisy environment. So it, Just it's... dial it up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> If I'm inappropriate, just tell me. <laughs> it's it's it can tell which noise and distinguish the noise that you the voice that you want to hear from the background noise, and it just cuts the background noise. It's some kind of physical physics algorithm, and you know it works so well that what I found is that people are saying to me, Jenny, will you please speak up? 
know that's because I'm not aware of how noisy the background is. Yeah. So, so it just tells you to what extent that the, the technology has improved with yeah. noise. So with respect to hearing aids and cochlear implants. Well, technology in general, and I know research and development in Australia is, um, is very high class, high, high quality, not high class. But, um, and we are so lucky to, to have brilliant people inventing wonderful um, technology that helps so many people. And you're a classic example of being able to be hearing impaired, have, have cochlear implants, be able to use Zoom and function very normally yeah. in, a, in a difficult world, in difficult times. I have a question. Sure. Swimming, does it, you, do you have to do anything? Um, well, I, I take them down to the, the sand and I take them off. I put them in a secure place. Um, although I do worry that someone might steal the bag. Um, but yes. Far so good. Um, and I don't wear them in the water, of course, because they're not waterproof. But cochlea do make um, an aqua accessory. Yeah. I've been saying to myself, now that I'm swimming regularly down here at Manly, I should get it. I should get it. I'll feel safer. My husband will be able to talk to me. People will be able to tell me there's a shark over there um, or something like that. I just think I want, I want to be able to communicate under all circumstances. So I plan to get them, um, the aqua accessories. I know they, they routinely, the parents with children, use these ex aqua accessories because children want to, you know, play in swimming pools. So... Jenny, on my recent trip up north to Queensland, we went out on the Great Barrier Reef and we had we were snorkeling out there. And honestly, there's nothing like it. It's just the fish, the colours of the fish, they're just now implanted in my brain. I I can conjure up this amazing parrot fish just Wow. And see it there and it was, you know, massively big and just the colours of every colour of the rainbow. Oh, it's very calming when you think about it. I just can see these big lips. You know the gropers? They're yeah. the same sort of lips as yeah. the gropers. But exactly, Sandy. That's exactly what I want to do as soon as we get out of COVID and I can... Yeah. Well, they're part of the fact that they're a similar family. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that we, we learned, and I've heard it down at Shelley is it's a very noisy world underwater and we think we're swimming and it's not that noisy, but you can hear, and this is something for you, the, the blue groper at Manly, when it hits the rocks, you can actually hear it if really? you're underwater. Oh, yeah, it's like a knock, knock. And when you go and look at the, listen to the parrotfish and all of those, they hit the rock with such force. Oh. And, 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 well, what we learned up there was, where they hit the rock, that's actually making a place for new coral to come because that's part of part of the ecology out there, you know. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so when you do get those, yeah, there's um, a world, yeah, there's another universe underwater. Well, there is. It's um, and even when you're swimming, I mean, it's noisy for me when I'm swimming. Some, you know, sometimes I 
I put blue tack in my ears, probably not what you want to hear, but that's <laughs> what I use and it works amazingly well. Um, so I don't, I don't ever swim with, without anything in my ears, but you can still hear those, the fish not. It is amazing not, what you can hear with something still stuffed in your ear. Yeah. Your ear is a, a wonderful organ. Yeah. It's like knock, knock, those fish. Knock, knock. What are you doing? Knocking at a rock, you know. So, but you can hear them. It's beautiful. And there's one thing I'd like to say before we go. You know, it's not, it wasn't so surprising that cochlear implantation was pioneered in Australia. Because actually we were already ahead of many, many countries in the world in terms of hearing research. We've... We, we've had you know, hearing Australia for, I don't know, probably 100 years. It's, it's always been some pioneering group doing research on hearing and hearing aids. And, and Graham Clark came out of that environment from the University of Sydney where, where hearing research was something that was worth doing um, and doing, you know, really spearheading what was happening in the terms of technology. So, so we're in a, a very lucky situation. Australia, Australia is the lucky country. And all the Australians that are finding it tough um, at the moment in terms of social interaction because of their hearing loss and because of COVID can be really reassured that you know, there's, there's something out there that can make things better and... They should get asked their GPs to be given some kind of um, referral to a place where they can be assessed for cochlear implants. I think the part of the important message today is that procrastinating and being fearful about some things like this and being uninformed, not, not well-informed, that's that's a real shame, you know. That's something that you, when you get the right information, all of this, it, it's really valuable and it can be life-changing. And I think, you know, forget the fear, just get the information and then make an informed decision of what's right for you. And if you're doing it with your doctor, there's so many people out there that can... Um, can help you to make the right decisions for you because everybody's decision is, you know, has to be for them. Yes. Um, but yeah, and you've you've got some information here about um, you can email hearing help at cochlear.com. Yes. Um, I've got that here and I'm happy to write something at the bottom of the podcast about, you know, yes. how people find yes. more information and well, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on today because I have learned so much. It's, it's really good. It's, you know, it's great to see you thriving. Thank you. Just you, but people like yourself thriving through COVID and really, you know, embracing everything that, that is there for you to embrace. Yes, definitely. I, I hope it is inspiring. Um, I, I, I want our society to be as happy and healthy as it can possibly be. And yeah. hearing well is part of that story.
Absolutely. So uh, to everyone on the Aging Fearlessly uh, listeners, thank you very much. And thank you, Jenny Brand Miller, for coming along today. Uh, I'm so grateful that you were introduced to me. And I know I'm going to bump into you one day out there in the water and we're going to listen to some of those um, blue gropers bashing at the rocks. <laughs> but um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, there's something else for you to hear. Um, but oh. yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Bye. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember... Aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all nine to five. It's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains Oceans wide Live out our dreams Just you and me Let your heart be alive There's no time to waste Gotta go get the most out of time Don't be afraid Like this treasure that you've got to Let your heart be alive.